Before we get started with this episode of Walking with Dante, let me just say that this podcast has gone on for three years, more than three years. In fact, I never intended this podcast to overtake my life, but it has. I'd like to ask for a little help. I have a great deal of costs associated with this podcast, including fees to join scholarly journals to get library access, including hosting fees, streaming fees. I have to buy the copyrights to the music, the sound effects, and I have to put the thing up and let it live somewhere. So I have to pay for those services too. And I have turned down sponsors in favor of asking for your help. So before we get started, let me just tell you that there is a PayPal link both in the show player itself and in the notes to this podcast. If you would like to donate to this podcast and support it. That would be terrific. I'm still going to continue on this passion project. I'm simply asking for a little help for something that I had no intention of overwhelming my life onto the episode. Hey there, I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante, a podcast that is still standing in front of the gate of purgatory, where we will be at least for two more episodes. Oh, this is a really complicated gate, and so we've got to just take it a little bit at a time, but that's the point of this podcast, right? So we're just going to move on to the next 15 lines at the gate of Mount Purgatory, lines 79 through 93 of Canto 9 of Purgatorio. If you don't know what any of that means, oh my gosh, there is so much material behind us all the way across Inferno and all the way up Mount Purgatory so far to this point. You can certainly stick in right here, but let me say that the rest of us have, uh, what do we want to say, girded up our loins. We've been told to get ready and not marvel if it gets more difficult. And so we're here, ready to meet the angel that sits at the gate of purgatory itself. Let's get straight to it. This is my English translation. It's on my website, markscarborough.com or walkingwithdante.com, and it's an angel. So what more could you possibly want? As my eyes opened wider to make him out more clearly, I saw that he was seated above the upper step. His face was so bright that I couldn't bear to look at it. He had an unsheathed sword in his hand. It reflected his light rays back to us, so much so that I turned my eyes away from him in vain. Speak from where you are. What is it you want? He began to say, where is your escort? Take care that your coming up here doesn't lead to your grief. A lady from heaven, my master replied to him, who is well acquainted with such things, just now said to us, go on that way, just ahead is the gate. Even so, may she hasten your steps toward what is good, continued the keeper of the gate. Come forward then to these stairs of ours. Oh, it's like the gate of Oz. Who dares come before the great and powerful Oz? Yes, who does? Well, it's our pilgrim and Virgil, and they're standing here at this unbelievably bright angel with a 
Spada Nuda, a naked sword, an unsheathed sword in his hand. So let's talk about the angel and how he exists in the passage. Let's talk about something that is the first ever to happen in comedy, which is really important to notice. And let's also talk about Virgil because, hey, it's Virgil who talks to this angel and not our pilgrim Dante. That's got to be significant. The passage begins, as my eyes open wider to make him out more clearly. Remember, we saw him seated at the opening in the last passage. It had appeared to be open. They get up to it. They realize it's actually closed, and the keeper of the gate is sitting there. And so now Dante kind of widens his eyes to take in more light. Uh, we're back to Lucy again, but it is actually overwhelming. Dante says, I saw that he was seated above the upper step. He's up there at the top. His face was so bright, I couldn't bear to look at it. We've already had this reference once with that angel who brought the souls in the boat from near the Tiber River in Rome, where he collects them and brings them to Mount Purgatory. We already had this bit that you can't see the angel because he's so bright. This one you seem to be able to see a little more. It's just the face that's really problematic because Dante does notice he has a spada nuda, a naked sword, an unsheathed sword in his hand. This guy's ready for battle. If the sword is naked, then it is as if he is really truly ready for battle. And we should feel a little bit of fear right there. I know that Dante says in the previous passage that all fear left him and he now has confidence. But, you know, how much confidence do you have when you walk up to a guy with a blade in his hand ready to be used? But he's not using it. Instead, the blade is reflecting his light rays back to us, so much so that I turned my eyes away from him in vain, in vano. There's this way in which there's all this confidence built up in the emotional landscape of the pilgrim, and now in the face of so much light, it collapses in emptiness, in vano, in vain. What had been the pilgrim's bravado? Okay, I get it. I, I'm I'm ready to go. That whole dream with Terius and Procne and Achilles and Ganymede, you know, you know, all that stuff we talked about. Okay, that's all gone. And now I know that Lucy carried me here and I'm full of confidence and then oh, I'm not. The pilgrim goes silent in this passage and it is Virgil who replies. For a moment, let's again look back at that angel. He is reminiscent of those cherubim who are stationed with their swords outside of the Garden of Eden at the fall. We talked about this with the angels who came down in the Dale of the Negligent Rulers. Same idea. When Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden, angels, and we don't know how many, it's just plural in the Hebrew, cherubim, well, I shouldn't say angels because there's a whole debate about whether cherubim are indeed angels or a different order altogether. But that's a debate for the theologians. I'm not a theologian, just a guy who reads poetry. The angels are stationed at the Garden of Eden to keep Adam and Eve from coming back inside of it once they're expelled. This does have a little bit of feeling of that. In fact, I think there's another reference here, and that is in medieval iconography, St. Paul is often given a sword. It strikes me as really important to think about this angel in a Pauline context. 
Paul is the great articulator of what Christian salvation is. In Paul's letters to the Romans, to the Corinthian church, and elsewhere, Paul articulates the action of redemption, and he lays out a theology of salvation through faith and how faith and works interlock, and what works come from faith, and what good things come from faith, and what is the armament of faith, and how faith is necessary to the resurrection, which is the final end stop of redemption. All that's in Paul's epistles. That seems important here because we are at the very gate of redemption itself. And it seems important, too, because if you remember in our read-through, this angel also has the two keys of St. Peter. So that he has something from Paul and something from Peter seems much more resonant in the larger iconography of finally entering the redeemed space of purgatory itself. All right, let's talk about something that is a first in this passage. It says in the text, well, the angel says, speak from where you are. What is it you want? Where is your escort? Take care that your coming up here doesn't lead to your grief. This is the first angel to speak in comedy. The angel in the boat that brought the souls to the shores of purgatory didn't speak. And that divine messenger who came down to the walls of Dis doesn't speak. The one who's waving the stink of sticks away from his face. We take that to be an angel, although it's not an angel in the way these are angels. That's a big question for comedy. Is Dante changing his notion of angels for more Greco-Roman god figures like the messenger in Inferno to more standard Christian angelic presences? Maybe. But what I can say is this is the first one to speak, and surely this is important because it reveals Dante's notion of divine transcendence. Yes, a saint speaks, Lucy. Lucy speaks in Inferno Canto 2, at least we overhear her speech as Virgil relates it, and Lucy speaks to Virgil in Purgatorio Canto 9, this very Canto, when she says, I'm Lucy, and she picks up our pilgrim and takes him off. But so far in comedy, no angel has spoken. And this is very important since angels are heavenly messengers. I mean, that is their whole purpose. You've got to get all the way here in comedy before an angel speaks. And I think this relates, and I'm going to really push this and maybe make too big a statement here, but I think this relates to Dante's almost Islamic notion of divine transcendence. God is so removed from this world, so up in different spheres of reality that, in fact, his messengers only speak at this moment in comedy, which means that we are a long way away from the divine presence. We would expect in any poem about walking across the afterlife that an angel would have spoken to us long before now, probably when we woke up in that wood in Inferno 1. Instead, we got Virgil. <laughs> we get the guide we can get. But still, we got Virgil. Most poems would have put an angel there or had an angel direct 
reject Virgil. Instead, these emanations of God's message don't actually say anything until clear up here. Now, we've seen, again, a few of them. We saw maybe the divine messenger at Dis might be one. We saw Satan, who is a fallen angel. So that's a different quibble on the question. Well, also, while I'm at it, we saw those demons with the barriters who are also probably fallen angels. We're not quite sure of Dante's full theology there, but probably so. But then in Purgatorio, we saw that angel bring the boat to the souls, and then we saw those two angels come down in the Dale of the Negligent Rulers, but nobody spoke. So that this one speaks is really important, and I can't stress it enough. It's really important to understand how far removed God is from this world in Dante's thought, how transcendent God is. It's not quite deism, but it has a slight overtone with deism. Remember the neoclassical thought that God created the universe and then somehow got locked outside of it or left it or in some way or is completely removed from the running of this clock, which is the universe. Dante is certainly more Christian than that, but it's the same way he has this idea of God's transcendence, God's differentness, God's holy otherness that allows him to see God as very far removed from us. And this, the first speech from a heavenly messenger in all of comedy. So let's talk about what he says. Speak from where you are. What is it you want? It's a little forbidding, right? What is it you want? Where's your escort to care that you're coming here doesn't lead to your grief? Well, first thing I want to say is, do people try to get in here without being ready? I mean, is there a way that people get up here? Those Manfred types and Balacqua types and Nino Visconti and Sordello, do they get up here without being ready? And so the angel has to ward them off and therefore they end up in grief, which seems a really wild idea in the redeemed part of the afterlife. What is it you want? That seems a particularly forbidding question. What is it I want? I want to go through the gate. Uh, why? Do you need to know? Is there a question? It's just curious how absolutely forbidding this at first seems. There are answers to all of these questions. Not a single question the angel asks doesn't have an answer. And yet at the same time, it just seems as if it's off-putting. Like, oh my gosh, I have really come to the gate of Oz itself and I really want to see the great and powerful wizard. But what we should really think about here are the other uh, gatekeepers who we've encountered. If we think about Cato, who we meet at the shores of Purgatory at Purgatorio Canto 1, line 43, Cato's question is, who led you here? Well, it's a similar question to this. Where is your escort. I don't think this angel necessarily means, you know, hey, I got to see your papers. Who's your guide? Who's who, Who'd you pay to get in here? I don't think that's what it means. I think the angel is asking more of how'd you get here? I should say that most people think that where is your escort has a, what, a subtle reference to Lucy in it because of the way Virgil replies. But maybe the angel is talking about Virgil himself, who got you here? It's not totally clear. We should also think about two other gatekeepers. We should think about Minos, who stands right there before the lustful with his tail wrapping around himself to determine what circle of hell you go in. Remember that? And Minos says, beware how you enter and whom you trust. Don't let your easy entrance fool you to hell. Remember that? 
this has resonance with that Minos bit in Inferno 5. It also has resonance with Charon. When Dante comes up to Charon after seeing all the neutrals and Charon says, Woe to you, depraved souls. Don't even hope to see heaven. We're kind of wrapping back to Charon, to Minos, to Cato with this angel. It's all bound up in there. And if you remember those moments, who replies to them? It's Virgil. Virgil is the one who gives his little spell, as we called it in Inferno. It is willed in a place where power and will are one and the same. Virgil says it twice, once to Charon, once to Minos. Virgil replies to them. Virgil replies here. It's, it's just crazy. I mean, yes, is it established in comedy that Virgil replies to the gatekeepers? Of course. Is there any precedence for a damned soul talking to an angel? No, there is, in fact, no precedent for it. When Virgil recounts the harrowing of hell, when Jesus descends with his armies to pull everyone up out of hell, Virgil seems to be left in the dark about what's going on, and it seems as if something happens that Virgil doesn't fully understand. So Virgil hasn't ever spoken to anyone like this before, and yet here we are. But why not, Dante? Is it because the question is about a guide and therefore Virgil an escort, a guide? Is that why? And so Virgil feels compelled to answer. Is it because it's always this way, as I've indicated before, gatekeepers? Is it that Dante has collapsed in his confidence, in vano, in vain, looked away from him? Or is Virgil truly capable of speaking to an angel? Apparently, it's that last bit. The story Virgil tells is very truncated. It's very to the point. A lady from heaven who is well acquainted with such things just now said to us, go on that way, just ahead is the gate. There's a quibble here. In that last telling of the story, Lucy didn't say anything. She pointed to the gate with her gorgeous eyes. But we have to kind of assume she said something. I don't think that Virgil is lying here. There would be no precedent and no explanation for a lie in front of an angel. I think instead that Virgil's giving us another detail of that story. It wasn't just her eyes. She also said, go on up there. There's the gate. But still, nonetheless, here, the story is very short, and it relies on a lady from heaven. If you remember, Virgil also relies on Beatrice in Inferno to explain his progress across that landscape. So Virgil is making reference to these saintly women who allow and permit his journey But we should still say it's still curious that Virgil can look right at this angel and give him a reply. And Virgil doesn't quail. Virgil doesn't turn away in vain. Virgil doesn't seem, uh, what, uh, wordless in front of this divine presence. Virgil, the classical world, the representation of the classical world, is able to reply. And the angel gives it right back to him. Even so, may she hasten your steps toward what is good. So the angel clearly accepts this story. We have to believe probably the angel knows this story. But okay, the angel accepts the story. And then the angel says a line that I find very curious. Come forward then to these stairs of ours. Ours? 
Who's ours? God and the angels? The redeemed and the angels? Christians? Who owns this gate? I don't think it's a divine pronouncement. I don't think it's a kingly, we recognize your will to exist. You know, I don't think it's a kingly thing. I think that there is a plurality here. The angel speaks for a horde. Who's the horde? God and all his saints, God and all his angels, God and all his angels and all his saints, God and all his angels and all his saints and all the redeemed. It jumps off the page for me. Very few commentators point it out and notice it, but I am very uh, intrigued by it because I would expect the angel to say, come forward then to these stairs of God or come forward to these stairs of mine, thereby taking ownership for his gatekeeping position. But in this case, there's a plural. Whose stairs are these? I think the answer is everyone inside of it, everyone who has ever gone through it. But that answer would have to wait until the end of Paradiso to make sense. One more time, the passage, Purgatorio, Canto 9, lines 79 through 93. As my eyes opened wider to make him out more clearly, I saw that he was seated above the upper step. His face was so bright that I couldn't bear to look at it. He had an unsheathed sword in his hand. It reflected his light rays back to us, so much so that I turned my eyes away from him in vain. Speak from where you are. What is it you want? He began to say, where is your escort? Take care that your coming up here doesn't lead to your grief. A lady from heaven, my master replied to him, who is well acquainted with such things, just now said to us, go on that way, just ahead is the gate. Even so, may she hasten your steps toward what is good, continued the keeper of the gate. Come forward then to these stairs of ours. Thanks for listening to this episode of Walking with Dante. I'm so glad we're on this walk together. Dante is nothing but surprising at every turn, even in little words like ours. He's just always catching you by surprise, which is what makes him, ah, oh, dare I say it again, the greatest poet in Western culture. <laughs> can I make that claim enough? I think I can. Please subscribe to this podcast, rate it, like it, do all those things in order to keep it afloat. Mostly, let's just keep walking. We're now here. We got this far. Gosh, how can we stop? We got to get up these steps. So what are these steps? Oh, wow. There's a question that is more loaded than almost any we've asked so far, but we're going to get to it in the next episode of Walking with Dante. I'm Mark Scarborough. Put on your good shoes because you'll need them for that next bit of this walk in the next episode of the podcast. Thank you.